Episode, I cannot be happier to have back, uh, you know, one of our constant returning guests. Uh, somebody that, I mean, in my opinion, honestly, I could consider them an occult reject at this point. He's been on the occult rejects plenty of times. He has been on my show. And he's always somebody that always, you know, brings a, a, a great topic and a great discussion. And I'm always looking forward to having a chat with this man. So enough of guessing his head up. And uh, patting him on the back. Uh, here is the one and only. Uh, I know everybody loves him. We got the Headless Giant with us again tonight. What is up, my man? How's it going? Yeah, so tonight I really wanted to get into um, how uh, the benefit societies really changed the shape of medicine in America. And then immediately after that, the progressive movement took the benefit societies and flushed them down the toilet. So hopefully we can get into a little bit of how the government fixed healthcare the first time and how <laughs> basically the benefit societies had been an outgrowth of this thing I like to call committeeism, and we'll get into that a little bit more too. So I think um, uh, this is another Thesian type uh, research project. It's been an ongoing research project, so I like to do uh, research in the same allegorical style as Theseus. So Theseus was the uh, Greek hero who fought the Minotaur and made his way out of the Matrix, right? Made his way out of the labyrinth. But the labyrinth is a clear allusion to this idea of being inside of this Matrix maze type thing. And the way he did that was he followed the scarlet thread given to him by Ariadne out of the matrix so he had to tie it off at the beginning run it through and then he had to find his way out so the central idea of this or the minotaur of this would be the healthcare provided by mutual aid societies or benefit societies as they're more aptly known and then how exactly those benefit societies were influencing the rest of society as well as how uh, we got into the situation we're at today so sort of at the heart of this whole thing is the benefit societies and and lodge practice which is something we'll get into i have to so say did, just real quick yeah, i mean even when you sent me all those links you know the first one was the benefit society i was like all right okay it makes sense and then i think out of like i think you sent me like 12 or whatever which i'm not complaining i was just like yo how do we get here from that first one i was like this has got to be good because i was just <laughs> like yo this is great and you're like sorry i went on a rabbit hole I was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Well, central to this whole idea of benefit societies, uh, mutual aid societies, fraternal orders, all the rest of these things that they were called is the Eleusinian Mystery School because this is how these benefit societies spread, like all the way back in ancient Greece. If you can imagine how crazy cults are today, imagine exactly how crazy they would be in the B.C. times. And we know for a fact that the ancient world was crawling with these crazy cults. You know, how are they supporting themselves? How are they getting by in nature? How are they, you know, doing you know, all of this stuff back then? Well, you have to look at their stories, the narratives that supported them. And that's a very interesting and very central to this whole thing is because all of these benefit societies in the 1800s were all supported by these 
strange stories that they told about themselves, that they told about nature, that they told about all this stuff. You see this coming through your, your work on the Mormons. Like they had these strange ideas, strange stories that had to be supported. And so, you know, this is, this is central to the Mormons. It's central to what was happening back then. And we'll definitely get into it. So that's funny. I, I didn't even realize at first that it had to do with the Mormons until like I had mentioned something to you before. <laughs> it's funny. Right, it's, well. it's almost as if I mean I'm not trying to like you know put words in your mouth, but for me like most you know, people obviously know I seem to have a thing for the Mormons, and it's just funny how like me and you both ended up there again. It's just they seem to be a very interesting topic I think for both of us. Well, unraveling the Mormons is very central to this. Like, if you look at an ethnicity map of the United States, and you see that um, the vast majority, vast, vast, vast majority of flyover country is all what they call the red state. It's all Germanic population, right? It's all people that came over from Germany, from surrounding areas in Germany. It's all German, right? But in World War One. They made speaking German illegal. So instead of having all these German towns, they all had to be forced integrated into the American population. But if you look at the map, you see that Utah is all blue for um, for being English. And where did they get that heritage from? That came through the Mormons. And the Mormons were all from New England, and they were all British subjects. So Yo, you, you know see what I had noticed. You know what I, I noticed that when we were covering the Mormons, well, we were covering Skinwalker Ranch and ended up stepping into the Mormons. <laughs> you know, a huge pile of shit of Mormonism. But that's situation. But, to step into yeah, yeah, and uh, I was like, I was, I was so, I was, I was trying really hard to show a connection with Bigelow, and like right. I was even following like the name in like mormons and i was like even following it to where you saw them coming over from new england mostly and i'm assuming this is probably because back in the 1700s you didn't have tons of ports with options to sail over here but it seemed like one was liverpool and there was two other ones there was like three major ports that was constantly sending ships here that you can see were people that ended up changing their names slightly when they got here and they were all mormons um, Lucy Bigelow used to be Bigelow over there, and she came over here, and she's like, you know, she was with high people. I think she ended up with um, whatever, Brigham Young. But what I'm getting at is that you can see, like, if you go and check, even on their own sites, they will show you the boatloads of people coming over here. They were all Mormons, and before that, they were all Masons, right? So these Masonic fraternal orders had an element of... Well, I mean, they still do to this day, right? There's an element of it's being passed down from father to son, right? And this British uh, Masonic rites, the the Scottish orders, right? So the Scottish rite Freemasonry, it all has to do with where you come from, from a British perspective, right? Scottish rite Freemasonry is all about that British perspective. And then you've got Orient Lodge. The Orient Lodge was... uh, very, very connected to the French perspective. This is where you get the Statue of Liberty and all the rest mm. of that stuff. That comes from the Orient Lodge. That's where you get the uh, French Revolution. The French Revolution was started and maintained by Orient Lodge Freemason. They're the ones who cut the head off of the king. Very interesting, but it all goes back to very ancient times, right? So they're using 
this perspective of uh, familial orientation to carry forward the ideas of their their uh, their orders. And what I like to say is that men don't have ideas. Ideas have men. And this is really <laughs> carried forward when you talk about benefit societies and all the rest of this stuff. So if we could start with that video, that'll yes. be the central pillar of this whole thing. That'll be the Minotaur. We can start to just pick that apart. And then we'll go from there. That video is from an essay that this guy wrote. He was doing some independent research on how the medical system in America got as bad as it did. Now, we look around with COVID, and we can see exactly what he's talking about. It was all about entrainment. They've always been trying to just entrain us. It's systems thinking instead of just individual thinking or collectivist thinking. They're making the systems that we're in. They're controlling the destiny of how we, how we move forward. So this, this is uh, how the government fixed the healthcare crisis. Here we go. Today, the United States faces a healthcare crisis. Medical costs are too high, and health insurance is out of reach for the poor. The cure is obvious to nearly everybody. Government must step in to solve the problem. Eighty years ago. Americans were also told their nation was facing a healthcare crisis. Back then, the complaint was that medical costs were too low and that health insurance was too accessible. But in that era too, government stepped forward to solve the problem and boy, did they solve it. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, one of the primary sources of healthcare and health insurance for the working poor in Britain, Australia, and the United States was the Fraternal Society. Fraternal societies, or friendly <laughs> societies in Britain and Australia, were voluntary mutual aid associations. Over one quarter of all American adults were members of fraternal societies in 1920. Fraternal societies were particularly popular among blacks and immigrants. A fraternal society was a group of working-class people who formed an association and paid monthly fees into the association's fund. Individual members would then be able to draw on the pooled resources in times of need. There were a great many societies to choose from. Their most commonly offered services were life insurance, disability insurance, and lodge practice. Lodge practice meant that the lodge would retain a doctor to provide medical care to its members. <laughs> Members would pay a yearly fee and then call on the doctor's services as needed. If members were unhappy with the doctor, the contract might not be renewed. Most remarkable was the low cost at which these medical services were provided. At the turn of the century, an average worker's daily wage would pay for a year's worth of medical care, much cheaper than on the regular market. Yet, licensed physicians competed vigorously for lodge contracts perhaps because of the security they offered. This competition kept members' costs low. The response of the medical establishment, both in America and in Britain, was one of outrage. Many saw it as a blow to the dignity of the profession that trained physicians should be eagerly bidding for the chance to serve lower-class tradesmen. Such low fees, many doctors complained, were bankrupting the medical profession. Socially inferior people were setting physicians' fees and sitting in judgment to determine whether their services had been satisfactory. They demanded COVID vibes that the there. government must do something. And so it did. In Britain, state-financed medical care crowded out lodge practice. A working-class person 
Now being forced to pay taxes for free health care was very unlikely to also pay for health care through the fraternal societies. In America, a similar process unfolded. Medical associations like the AMA had been granted the political privilege of control over the medical licensure procedure. The associations used this power to impose sanctions on doctors who dared to sign lodge practice contracts. Doctors could be denied the use of hospital facilities or expelled from the association. The effort to destroy lodge practice even extended to denying emergency medical care to lodge members. The AMA also made the requirements for getting a medical license much stricter, ostensibly to raise the quality of medical care. But the result was that the vast pool of physicians bidding for lodge practice contracts disappeared. This artificial restriction on the supply of medical care dramatically reduced competition, which resulted in higher prices. This hit the working class lodge snake. members especially hard. The final blow to lodge practice was struck by the fraternal societies themselves. The National Fraternal Congress successfully lobbied government for laws setting a legal minimum on membership fees that fraternal societies could charge. Perhaps the Congress did so hoping to benefit from cartel pricing, but thanks to the higher membership fees, the societies ended up losing even more members to industrial insurance firms and the welfare state, which eventually replaced them. Collectively, government interventions destroyed the mutual aid healthcare system and with it, Bye -bye the availability of low-cost healthcare to the working poor. We can only guess at how lodge practice would have developed if it had been allowed to continue and what innovations we've missed out on since competition in the medical world was hobbled. One thing does seem clear. We have a crisis in healthcare costs today because government solved the last one. Yeah, that's it. Wow. I had like no Powerful idea. Video. I had no idea about any of this. Right. That's bugged out. Right. I mean, it, it really is, but, you know, there's a lot they're not telling you, right? And one of the main things there, especially in that video, you see the snake. And it's very interesting about that snake, right? So that's the snake in association with medical practices is called the rod of Asclepius. Asclepius is this ancient Greek physician who solved the medical crisis, right? So in Greek mythology, he's the one who uh, pissed off Hades. He pissed off Hades because he was granting people eternal life. He solved the medical crisis. So he was giving people eternal life, and there was nobody going down to Hades anymore. So, he, uh, so Hades lobbied uh, Zeus. He's like... Can you please take care of this guy? Everybody's staying alive forever, and we can't have this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's funny. And so Zeus is like, this guy's great. How could you be against this guy? He's, he's you know, helping all these mortals out. He's, he's, he's making everybody live forever. He's, he's got the medicine that helps everybody. Well, it's very interesting because um, you see on the back of these ambulances, I don't know if you could flip to it, but the very last link i sent you was about the rod of asclepius i was already pulling it up sir oh yeah all right so if you scroll down a little bit there's a really interesting quote in there so what you see is the 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 star of life as they call it which is uh, a, a change a change from the original uh the greek cross the greek cross was the original right and that was just a 
across with equal sides on either side, right? And basically, it had a single, you know, the rod of Asclepius, and then you have uh, a, a regular cross, the red cross, as it were, right? And uh, if you scroll down, there should be a quote in there about um, how uh, they change, right? So the rod of Asclepius was a change in what we see today, right? You see that little uh, that little symbol with the uh, the two snake. That's called the caduceus, and the caduceus comes from Hermes, uh -huh. and you see that on a lot of hospitals today. Now Hermes is the god of profit and business. Well, you know what I want to answer? Profit oh. and business is now on all of these hospitals instead of the rod of Asclepius, which is the rod of medicine. I was right, going to so ask you, I have seen both, and I'm assuming there is a difference, right? Yeah. Oh, there's a big difference. I have so, noticed, so, like, on, uh, I can't remember if it was, like, an ambulance or a pharmacy. It only had, like, the one snake on it, but then I'm like, that's weird because normally I've seen it with the two. And then I started, like, paying attention, and I was like, wow, I've never noticed. I guess I always assumed, like, it was just always the same thing. But there isn't. Right. I've actually seen a difference. Right. You know, and I started well, to think, like, you know, in occultism, I'm like, there's a reason for that. <laughs> so in the 1930s, they were coming to grips with this uh, identity crisis. So the army started using the Cadassius, and the Cadassius you know, is directly related to Hermes, but they're like, no, 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 this is the same thing. I don't believe that the army was doing this unintentionally. This this big shift in um, in the way that they practiced was evident. And to a doctor in the 1930s, he started saying, look, this is absolutely wrong. What you're doing is you're replacing profit motivation for medical motivation, for the reason you get into the practice, for uh, these uh, oaths that the ancient doctors would take to Asclepius to practice medicine fairly. And instead, you're putting the hermetic uh, symbol in there, which is all about profit, profit motive. So all these hospitals with the caduceus on it, they're after profit. And they're telling you on the sign, they're after profit. They're not after healing you. They're after profit. Now, what's really interesting about Asclep Asclepius is this is where we get the term sleeping in from. So they would have these um, uh, big old temples to Asclepius in the ancient world. And if you were feeling sick, you would go and sleep in the temple. This is where we get the term sleeping in from. You would sleep in the temple because at these places, they would have uh, healing modalities that would help you out, that would help you to become healed by sleeping in the temple. And you would do this through prophetic dreams. Do you, you would do this by the... Do you think, like, the architecture and the design to those places might have helped with that, too? I think Bingo, it might have been, like, yeah, I was assuming some sort of, like, sacred geometry to the place, probably. Right. So what they what they found is in a lot of these, um, these churches that have this coherent architecture that actually makes sense is that they will have a microphone, and they will have a speaker, and they will turn up the speaker, and they will turn up the microphone until they get a coherent sound of silence coming from inside of these churches. And this coherence can be felt and, and seen inside of the, um, inside of the um, patterns that these, these sound waves will make on a 
a thing of sand or on a, uh, a plate with water on it. They'll actually be able to map those sound waves. And they found that the coherent architecture will produce a symmetrical uh, sign in the sand, in the, in the water. And they, they'll show that this is a very highly coherent thing. It's because the way that they would build these, these temples would be all based on a similar ratio. This golden ratio would be present in all of the architecture. So not only do you get a coherent sound wave, you would actually get a co coherent uh, uh, temple, which would all be based on the same ratios. Now we don't build like this anymore, obviously. And so they're all they're all like, oh, it must have been Tartaria. Well, we are living in an inflationary society. Going back to this time where we had all of these uh, people having a coherent method of providing health care for themselves, right? So they would provide it for their communities and they would provide it for themselves and they had a coherent way of doing so. But the less coherence we have in the system, the more it throws off the cymatics. Now the cymatics is what it's called when you've got these sound waves influencing this, this pattern on this plate, right? So the cymatics of the whole thing are thrown off through inflationary society. Now get this, also what happens in an inflationary society, right, where you've got money being printed out of nothing, reducing the value for everybody, what ends up happening is you have to use cheaper and cheaper materials to build your stuff. So the knowledge it takes to work with those more expensive materials is eventually lost because those people don't have work anymore. They end up having to only work with this inexpensive material, right? So the coherence in the architecture is eventually lost. We have a brain drain because we're not using these more difficult, more valuable substances to make our, our architecture out of. And so you're looking at a, a a decline in the architecture itself because we're printing up too much money. Now this goes back to money theism as well because what we used to have on all our coins was the picture of the gods that we would venerate in these societies. Now these mutual aid societies too, they would also venerate these ancient gods, right? A lot of these mutual aid societies were, were drawn back to ancient Greece. They had their mythology from ancient Greece because there was a coherence there. There was an energy there that was coherent in nature. And so they would follow this thing, even though everybody went to church, they would have these Asclepian type, um, Asclepian type imagery that they would follow, that they would create a coherent culture with. And they lost that because they had inflation because they kept printing up more and more of this money around the turn of the century, around the uh, institution of the Federal Reserve, where inflation would take off. It was crazy how much money they were printing up. We're at something like 2,000% inflation since 1913, and it's only getting worse, and that's a brain drain. So not only are they desecrating society, they're desecrating the gods that they used to put on the coins, right? And now we all serve this one uh, symbol, this this uh, uh, all-seeing eye on the back of the, the dollar bill. And I don't know about you, but I don't worship an all-seeing eye on top of a pyramid. No. I don't worship that. <laughs> you don't worship it either. No. <laughs> oh, no. Right? But so the money theism is incoherent. So none of us worship the gods they put on our dollar. Like maybe a little bit of the eagle, right? So the eagle is Anu, the sky god, right? That's always been an association there. But he's being devalued too, right? So the more of, of him they print up, the less value there is in there, right? And Thea, 
Dia is a very interesting goddess that you'll never hear anybody else talk about. Dia is the goddess of value, right? And she's the goddess of what? You just got done doing a whole series about it. The goddess of sight. Oh, wow. The goddess of sight is the goddess of value. Because what you see is what you ascribe value to. She's a goddess of metals and crystals and all these things that we ascribe value to. What they were saying back in the ancient world is that value is subjective. And this is something that came up recently, more recently than the ancient Greek period, where the, these economists discovered that, yeah, value is subjective. It's not about the, the gold itself. It's about how much we ascribe value to it. And the ancient Greeks were saying this with the Titanides, Thea, which is where we get theology. You know which what's is where we get all God words starting with a T H E comes from Thea. It was really interesting what you're saying about with how she gives value, and she was like you mentioned jewels, and I guess like precious metals and stuff like that. That's exactly what Nuit's talking about in the Book of the Law. She's talking about the same shit. Come to Absolutely. me, come to me with... Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Right. I got I to gotta look into that when we go back to... There was a, I think we were going to do an episode of Revisiting the Eye before we get to the brain. Thank you. Revisiting <laughs> the Eye definitely look into Thea. Yeah, man. that's interesting. all about it. And her, her consort is this guy named Hyperion. Hyperion, <laughs> which means the highest... I didn't, I didn't know who he was until I started playing a Marvel superhero game on my phone. There was a guy named Hyperion, and he was pretty badass in the video game. They're taking all the stuff from ancient Greece, and they're putting it into Marvel games. And you Why? know what's funny? I, I googled the name, and I was like, yo, this is a god. And I was like, well, I mean, it makes sense. There's tons of actual gods in those types of comics anyway. So, you know. but yeah. Hyperion and Thea have a child. You might have heard of him before. His name's Helios. Yes. God of the sun. Because you can't have value without seeing what you are giving value to, which comes from the sun. Right? And oh. so all of this stuff is, is really intimately linked. And so, you know, you've got these titans, right, which some of them were insane, but most of them were very coherent. And you find in all of these, um, these uh, ancient Greek orders, they all draw their power from the titans. Right. And so the stories about conflict, the stories about uh, human betrayal and all the, that that comes from the Olympia, because this is how they govern today is they're using these Olympian concepts to to sort of give people these narratives that have less coherence so that they'll fight each other instead of fighting the, the masters of the society, the masters of the narrative. Because, you know, people talk about, oh, we're ruled by Jews. Oh, we're ruled by Jesuits. Oh, we're ruled by all the rest of this. We're ruled by narrative. Narrative is what rules everything. Everything is a story, you know? And once we come to grips with that, that story is what gives energy to all of these different groups and how they interact with each other, right? So let's go to that page on uh, the benefit societies. We can't look up mutual aid societies because the left has fully co-opted the concept of mutual aid, right? So benefit societies, this is the original, original concept. This is the original committeeism, right? And so this, this was sort of brought through the Freemasons, what they wanted to do is they wanted to organize society away from the crown. And the way they, they figured they would do that is with this 
benefit societies. So the original benefit societies were there to give death benefit, right? Okay. And this is why you see in a lot of fraternal um, imagery, they've always got Kronos up there with his sickle, right? You know what I thought was interesting when they mentioned like these fraternal orders, they did mention like uh, a lot of them were kind of like uh, neither like immigrants or you know, like it made it sound like the exact people that like parts of Freemasonry have like been open about denying actually. Well, this is why so I thought so that was weird, actually. I mean, you know, not I'm just being honest. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is why we have so many of them. Right. So you'll have Freemasons, which are like the core of these groups. And then you have offshoots. Like, so I think the Moose do, Lodge didn't let, allow blacks until, like, what, the right. 70s or some stupid shit like that? Like, Yeah, so what what's going on there is that the Freemasons wanted to segment society into all these different groups. And the best way they could come up with to do that is by having their own lodges, right? So in that little video there, they showed all the different types of lodges, all the different types of, of organizations that you could be a part of. Land craftsmanship. I, I don't even know how to pronounce that. But uh, th they talk about these, all these different types. So they would have uh, lodges dealing with the... Um, Let's see, they would, they would deal with labor. This was one of the first lodges, right? And so you had all these craftsmen who would come together in a lodge in a town, and they would basically set the prices. So they wouldn't be getting screwed. And so if you wanted to go into these lodges, you had to become uh, a journeyman, right? And to be a journeyman, you had to become an apprentice. Yes. And they developed this process that we see today in all of these uh, labor unions, right? And so you come in as this one thing, and then you transform through these different rites, through these different orders, and then you would emerge a journeyman. You would emerge a master, right? You it's see funny. I've always taken that. Dog. I've always taken that word, like, like you just said, like a journeyman and apprentice. Like I've heard of those, like in you know, uh, I guess careers, or occupations, and I've always right. wondered, like, you know, is that coming from something else that's like kind of maybe like from an occult? aspect you know what i'm saying especially journeyman um, i've really thought that absolutely is 100 125 so this all goes back to the eleusinian mystery right the eleusinian mystery schools talked about sort of creating these these rites of spring rites of spring based off of persephone now these are much older than just persephone and haiti much much older like we're talking Way back in Babylonian days, way back in Egyptian days, they had these orders, right? And so when they they made their way into Greece, and the idea there is that they would have these secret orders, these secret rites that were passed down through oral tradition. Instead of writing it down, they wanted to make sure that it wouldn't be shared. So the only way that you could share it was by doing it through word of mouth. And this word of mouth process, where you would be entrained into the lodge, you would attain um, initiations, right? And as you were initiated, you move higher up into the order. And it was sort of a given. If you stay with us, you'll go through the initiations, you'll rise up the orders, and you'll emerge a brother. You'll emerge mm. a, a, a person who has conquered death. And the whole Persephone cycle is about conquering death, right? So that you're, you're achieving death to the natural world, or death to the... Uh, original world and you're emerging reborn 
And that's what all of these Ellicinian mystery schools offer, is that you're emerging reborn as one of the brotherhood. I mean, I could even right? I can even say from my own experience with the OTO, I mean, that's kind of the symbology, one of the very few points that they're trying to get across in their things that you go through. So, you know. Rebirth through Isis. So Isis is the original salvation deity. Right, and so the salvation deity that she offered was to her husband, Osiris. Right, Osiris is god of the dead. It's very, very clear what their 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 main focus there is bringing the dead back to life. Right, and so this Isis would provide the energy that would bring life to the dead. Right, also talks about you know bringing this new creation. This third fourth, this offspring out of the dead into the light, right? And so a lot of Christians get really hung up on this ISIS thing, and they're thinking about it in terms of, you know, oh, this is about uh, uh, pagan rites or whatever. Well, it's, it's actually, it's the birth of Christianity, right? This is, this is why you invite Jesus into your heart. This is why they have Mary everywhere in, in Christianity. What they're trying to do is they're trying to show you've emerged from the dead in a new life. There's 5,000 years of history when it comes to Buddhism, right? Buddhism had a huge role to play in uh, pre-Christian eras, and you could find the influence of Buddhism all over the Mediterranean world, right? And I mean, that, that's even, it's very, is, it's rather prevalent in magical practices, too. Absolutely. You know, people taking stuff from there, you know what I'm saying, for sure. Right, and so the Buddhists had a very coherent vision of karma and the wheel of karma and reincarnation. The Greeks believed in reincarnation. They believed you spent a thousand years in the underworld and then your soul reemerged from the underworld. This is one of the things that Zeus was most afraid of, is that... He was told that the Oracle at Delphi, what used to be the Oracle of Themis, he was told that there would be one who would dethrone him from his, his perk at the top of, of the universe. And so he was torturing Prometheus to try and get that information out of him because Prometheus was the son of Themis. He was the son of the original Oracle. The original oracle was the oracle of Themis, right? And her son had the gift of prophecy, and he could see into the future. One of the reasons why he nailed him to the Caucasus Mountains is so that he could find out who it was to emerge to kill him, and he eventually did. He found out that it was supposed to be the soul of Achilles. The soul of Achilles was the one who was supposed to slay Zeus, which is why the whole story of Achilles sort of seems off a little bit. Like he was dipped in the river Styx, so he was immune to all forms of, of death, except for on his heel, because he was dipped in by his heel. And so the Achilles story is one of an immortal human who could die if he got an arrow to his heel, Right. And who was the one who, who eventually fired that arrow? It was Apollo. Apollo fired that arrow and stuck it into Achilles' heel. Now, what is Apollo doing? Apollo is the god of the Oracle of Delphi. He's the new Oracle, right? So you see this battle between the Titans and the Olympians 
and Apollo is one of the Olympians, and Apollo is taking over. So there's this huge circle at work there. You know what that reminds me? You know what that reminds me of? And it's not even it's not really, honestly, because of another show, Zetetic Warrior. He's been playing uh, the music to this movie a lot. But like, I know I even mentioned it in the I series. But like, um, the never-ending story. I mean, kind of the oracles that that kid walks through. I mean, the Orn. What is the Orn? Do you remember the Orn? That was the little seal on the book? Yes. It was the two snakes. snakes. And what were they doing? They were intertwining, right? This is the conscious energy. This is what the whole wheel of karma, this is what all these stories, this is what a narrative is all about. It's these wheels and how wheels within wheels, you know, when they talk about that with uh, when it comes to these UFOs and all the rest of this stuff, we're being ruled by narrative. The aura ubis, it's the snake eating its own tail. The orn, it's the same idea there. Think of how and a watch, it, an old watch or an old clock used to work. All these gears and wheels. I mean, we're ruled by time, too. <laughs> right, right. And so it, these ideas, is it's repeating over and over and over again. This is the nature of the simulation. And this is why you guys get hung up on this, um, this numerology so much. It's because these numbers connect stories. And these stories repeat over and over and over, and you can find them over and over. This is the nature of the matrix we find ourselves in. It's the abstraction leading to these stories, leading to abstractions, leading to stories. And it's what we find ourselves in. This is the thing that we can't escape, right? And so we got to go back to this rod of Asclepius again, right? We don't have to go to the, the webpage, but the rod of Asclepius talks about these earth energies, these earth serpents being used. And as you were sleeping in the temple, they would release these serpents. These non-venomous serpents would be released into the temple as you're sleeping in there. And the serpents would crawl around. But the serpents are this imagery of renewal because they could shed their skin. Right? And so they're shedding their skin. And as they're they're shedding their skin, they're bringing renewal and new life underneath of it. This is also why the crab imagery is so powerful, too. It's like they shed their shells and they become new again. And this ancient, ancient symbol of rebirth is the one that we use for medicine. Because this energy itself, this energy itself could bring you renewal, could bring you this idea of renewal. Which brings us back to the 1800s, right? So in the 1800s, we've got this guy, his name, uh, William Morgan. Oh, do you want me to pull him up? Yeah, pull that William Morgan article up. Because this guy represents this, this sort of cycle of renewal. So William Morgan is like one of the first whistleblowers on the <laughs> Freemason. He even thing. says anti-Mason, yeah. Anti-Mason. He goes on a speaking tour where he's releasing the secrets of the Eleusinian mystery schools. Now, up oh, until is this, this like, time, he's like the original David Icke. Yeah, yeah or Jordan Maxwell. <laughs> Going this on brings tour. us back to these stories. We're living through this period over again. What was it? 18, 1820s. What are we living in? We're living in the twenty twenties. We're living in this time that is the repeat every single time. And what always happens in these 20s? Well, what happened in the uh, 1920? What happened in the uh, 1918? What would what, you get in 1918? What was that? The flu. We got the Spanish flu, which actually came from uh, Kansas. They call it the Spanish flu, but it came from Kansas. Yo, you know what I told you? Wow, yeah, that is weird. 
You know what I <laughs> figured out what it came from. Whatever. Um, Go ahead. Uh, real quick, what I thought was weird about um, the Spanish flu. Um, not so much the flu, really that, but when I was covering the Order of Quetzalcoatl, I can't remember the guy's name, but one of the people that I think was involved with starting it was also involved with the Red Cross and like was really connected with. He was go like according to him, he was going around to each one of their camps and studying and seeing if they can help or whatever with the Spanish flu camps. But like, I do question like, how do I know he wasn't like. Maybe some 12 monkeys type shit going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe he wasn't helping at all. Maybe that's where they was breaking out. Who knows? But, like, I just thought it was really weird how this one guy who was involved with the Order of Quetzalcoatl was also involved with the Red Cross and highly involved with the Spanish flu type shit going on. Absolutely. And I was like, you know, you know, and I'm finding this, you know, during COVID. So, of course, my mind's already going with that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's so many links. You have to you have to pay attention to those links. You really, really do. Because what William Morgan was talking about is the first the first initiation into the Freemason is you have to bow, you have to put yourself on your knees, you have to have a blindfold on, and they put a knife to your throat. And if you do not go along with the system, they will kill you. That's what he was telling everyone. If you don't go along with the system, we will kill you. And so as William Morgan is going on a speaking tour, he's going to publish a book. And as he's getting ready to publish the book, they arrest him. They arrest him for speaking out against the Masons because you're not allowed to do that. You're a brother. You took O's. These O's may not be legal, but it doesn't matter. They arrest him. They put him in jail in New York. They put him in jail right where, right close to you, right? And what happens? Well, look. What do the conservatives tell you today? They tell you, don't fight the cops. Go and fight it in court. Go and fight it in court. Well, William Morgan was more than willing to go fight it in court. But guess what? William Morgan disappeared from that jail cell. And they took him across the border to Canada and they murdered him. They murdered him. He was the sacrificial lamb right there in the 1820s, right? And this pissed a lot of fucking people off. 1826. In Youngstown, New York. Yeah, sorry. Youngstown, New York, really close to that uh, that Canadian border because Canada was completely ruled by Freemasons, right? This is how they, this is how the British maintained control over their colonies was with the Freemasons. I bet you that has the a connection with MK Ultra. <laughs> bingo. This is why they brought people up there, right? So the Christians in America, they didn't want to be part of the Freemasons, and they didn't know that the entire system was rigged by Freemasons. So this anti-Masonic party got kicked off because they murdered William Morgan. They murdered William Morgan. They're like, this is unacceptable. Could you imagine if people got so pissed off today that they started their own third party and they actually got activated like that and they really wanted to take over and they built a lot of momentum up too. The anti-Masonic party was the first party to introduce the primary process. Primary. You've wow. heard of primaries before where you get to choose your candidate who's going to go fight against the other candidate. That didn't exist in the 1820s. How did it work then? The, like, would they just tell the you who? The parties got to choose the candidate. I mean, now. You want to talk now, about committeeism. But let's, let's be honest. Like, I mean, well, 
maybe back then it made a difference, but now, like, would you say it even makes a difference anyway? They they figured out how to get it. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying yeah, back then it might have been system. different, but unfortunately now I think we, it's just an illusion. That's just my opinion. But I, I'm sure back then it was different. But that's interesting. Well, I had no idea that, it worked like that. That JFK speech where he says we are opposed to secret oaths, right? And he's making this this big deal about secret oaths and secret organizations, right? He's talking about these groups, right? Because these groups. The ones that gave you free, cheap health care, they were also engaged in secret oaths. The Knights of Columbus, they have secret oaths. The Knights of Columbus was meant to be a rival to the Freemasons because the Freemasons were interesting. They allowed Jews in their organization. The Catholic Church did not allow Jews in their organization. You had to renounce Judaism if you were going to join the Catholic Church. And so the um, they sort of set up this false dichotomy between the Freemasons and the Jesuits. And the Jesuits are like, well, why don't we try to have a, uh, a parallel organization to the, to the Masons? We'll call them the Knights of Columbus. We still see the Knights of Columbus today, but they're more engaged in civic duties. But the idea there was to uh, create a Catholic Church equivalent to the Masons. Now, at the highest levels, there is no sort of separation between these organizations. Yeah, I was because gonna. I was gonna wouldn't... say there was somebody I had on a long time ago on the occult rejects, and uh, the guy really wasn't the topic actually, but he was a, a member of the Knights of Columbus. And like speaking to him afterwards, um, you know, the, it doesn't seem to be like it's not going to be like the OTO, but it just it also is like almost just as uh, symbolic as any other fraternal like Masonic thing. They have their whole get-up, and they have their own outfits, and they do their little things, too. So Yeah. Yeah, like you're saying, there Absolutely. really isn't much. I mean, it's almost like these things, even if they're separate, they almost have, like, the same type of practice anyway. You know what I'm getting at? Yes, they do. Because the liminal process is the same across all of humanity. The liminal process can be summed up in the narrative arc, Right. If, if you look, I didn't include this, but if you look up the narrative arc, you'll, you'll find that it's, it's the same as the initiation process, right? So you've got a call to action. You've got this uh, moving into the underworld. And then you've got the reemergence out of the underworld. And you find yourself back at the top of the, this narrative circle, right? It's the same thing with initiation. All initiation is this process. So when they're talking about, oh, the Freemasons are trying to initiate all of humanity into their thing, it's like there is no choice but to do that because it's the narrative arc. The narrative arc governs everybody. It's the it's the aura ubis. It's all of the things that you see being abstracted in different ways. They figured this out around the campfire. With Stone Age Man, they figured this out. Well, right? I, I even... Looking at these things, it's the same. Over and over again. I even think just my honest opinion, and whatever, I'm not like saying this in a negative way or anything. Just from things that I've seen, I even truly believe that like a lot of occultism and stuff, I think is in our faces because it's almost as if like somebody's conversating or they're just making making like a a statement for others to understand like th you know they get it they know it too 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I think there's a lot of that going on that we don't even realize. That's, you know, that's, it's not even something really to try to manipulate somebody. It's just more of like, like when I do certain things with my logos or whatever, if I wear certain clothes, you know, I do certain things for a statement. I think that's actually done a lot, a lot, a lot. And I think that's just going to, I guess, expose people to more occultism in a different way, if you know what I'm getting at. You know? Right. So the chariot card. And, and um, it's one of the most important cards. Every tarot reader will tell you the chariot card is one of the most important cards. And they'll keep pointing at the chariot card. Because the chariot card, the chariot has no wheel. It's not hooked up to those uh, sphinxes. This goes into the subconscious realms. The subconscious realms don't change. They can be impacted the same way in every generation. Once you're into somebody's subconscious, you can get them to move without moving. You understand what I'm saying? The yeah. chariot doesn't have to go anywhere. It's already there. That's the whole idea behind the chariot card is that we can get the population to move just by introducing these ancient symbols because symbols are just nothing but a tool, right? Anybody can use a tool. That's a good point. If you're trained in knowing how to use a tool, you can use a tool. And that subconscious realm is, is one of those things. It doesn't have to move. You're already there. Once they introduce those symbols, it's almost a matter of time before, like clockwork, the rest of the population moves along with it, right? That chariot in, in the back of the mind doesn't have to go anywhere. It's already there. You can get them to move in that direction. So when they're throwing out those symbols, this is this is the mystery behind mythology. When you're throwing out those symbols, it connects with people on a much deeper level than anybody's willing to admit about themselves. Because admitting that about themselves might reveal that we're all kind of NPCs. We're all kind of NPCs. <laughs> yeah. You know? well, I think all, all, we're all in our own a way. Bit about, right. A little bit about is fate. Fate, determinism versus free will. So what is determinism? What is free will? These are very abstract concepts. It's very hard to get a, uh, a measure on. So what I like to do is I like to take it to an analogy. I, I believe in the power of analogy. The power of analogy is what holds up every hierarchy, right? So when you're talking about determinism, it's like drawing a line in the sand and then rolling a ball down that line. Sure, the ball could bounce off that line, but the deeper that line is, the better chance you have, the better probability you have of having that ball roll down that line, that same slot. That's the same groove, right? And so what they do is they introduce these concepts to us, like all of these fraternal orders, like all of these uh, benefit societies. They introduce those as a slot, and they know that the ball, us, we're going to roll down that slot because we're given a slot to roll in. Jack and Jill fell down the hill. There you go. <laughs> right. So what they do is they give us a slot, and then we end up finding ourselves in that slot, and we end up rolling down that hill in that slot. That's what determinism is. Look, if we were going to become hermits, if we were going to become uh, preppers, if we were going to become any of that stuff, we would have by now. Right? We're all kind of NPCs. This is where we're at in society. We're all sort of figuring out that maybe we are kind of once we're given an option, we have to choose A or B, even though that's a false dichotomy, right? And a really good example of that is DeWitt Clinton. DeWitt Clinton was around. He was the, he was actually the master mason of the 1820s. If you could pull him up real quick, he's an yes. interesting character. So DeWitt Clinton. Hold on one second. 
He was the senator, governor, senator, governor, senator, governor of New York. <laughs> How does that happen? Weren't there other people maybe better suited to that yeah. to that uh, role there? And Dwight Clinton, yeah. So he was the master, master mason. He he's the one who helped build the Erie Canal. And if you're New York native, you know how important the Erie Canal is. That's all the trade going inland yeah. to the Great Lakes and from the Great Lakes out to the Midwest and everything else. This was the trading hub. He was the guy. And the way they opened that Erie Canal was in a Masonic ceremony. Now, he was around during the William Morgan affair, and he got a lot of flack for it. Why? Because he was the master mason. He was the, he was the president president. He was the one above the president. Right during the 1820s, he was the one above the president in the 1820s. Oh, look, it even mentions a Freemasonry with this guy. That's awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, he was a big Freemason. He was the uh, general. Uh, what was his name? He was the essential in, the... in establishing the Grand Encampment of Knights Templar in the United States. You remember that? Templar that's that's that we impressive enough, right there. <laughs> Bingo! Yeah, he was the guy. So this motherfucker. <laughs> this motherfucker, he goes out there and he says, I'm going to offer, I'm going to offer a $5,000 reward for anyone with information about the death of William Morgan. This motherfucker had the balls. He knew his organization so well that he said, I'm going to offer $5,000 for anyone to come forward with information. And you know what that was? That was a threat. That was a threat because he knew his organization so well that if anybody from his organization came forward and gave that money, boom, dead. He was a lot like the Clintons. He shares namesake with, with some of the most brutal motherfuckers. Back to that wheel of, of narrative. Wow. Back to that wheel of narrative. He had a body count. DeWitt Clinton body count. William Morgan. That's all you got to remember. Well, maybe William Morgan killed himself. <laughs> Maybe he killed himself in prison like that other guy. I was used to like a, with a red necktie, too, right? Right. You know, we've got uh, in the uh, night eight or uh, 2020s, we've got Epstein killing himself in prison. Yeah. In the uh, 1820s, we've got William Morgan disappearing from prison. I mean, I even questioned Joseph Smith getting killed in prison. You know, I don't well, know. Well, as an interesting aside there, so... The anti-Masonic party scared the shit out of the Freemasons. So what the anti-Masonic party was doing was, as they're trying to have their primary, they start sending letters out to prospective uh, uh, candidates for president because they've got a huge following in New England. They've got a huge following. Everybody's heard about William Morgan affair. Everybody's pissed off about it. And so they're looking for a presidential candidate who can clean house. And they laugh about the anti-Masonic party in Wikipedia. They're like, oh, they're so quaint. Oh, they're so idiotic. They send all these letters out to people in, in Congress, and they can't find a single non-Mason to be their presidential candidate. What's the impl implication there? They're all fucking Mason. Every single one of them. They can't find a single non-Mason as their candidate as they're trying to do their primary process to find the fucking candidate. When you said that, I was like, yo, if you can't find somebody, that's a problem. 
That's a big problem. Yeah, I was and thinking that in my head. I was like, oh, oh, they're so quaint. Oh, they're so provincial. Oh, yeah, no, there's a big problem. So conspiracies don't exist, but they can't find a single non-Mason in Congress. Figure that one out. That's so wild. every one of the people that they send these letters to, all of the all of the moral upstanding uh, members of Congress that they send these letters out to, they write back and they say, I cannot accept your nomination as presidential candidate because I myself am a Freemason. So I had a person who came to me recently. I don't know if he wants his name um, uh, released, but he lives very close to the city of London. And he said... So as you're inducted into these orders, right, they'll hold, maybe not precisely, but they'll hold a baby up before you and they'll say, you've got to punch this baby if you're going to go forward in our order, right? And if you punch the baby, they put you in a certain position. But if you punch the guy holding the baby, they've got another position for you. But you're still inducted either way you go. The white and the black squares. We control both sides of this equation, whether you're morally upstanding or morally degenerate. We don't care. We've got a we've got a space for you on our checkerboard. You know, I'll, I'll have really to. I'll have to. Yeah, I will have to say, like, I do know people. I mean, I don't know how far up they've gotten, but like, I do know a few people that do. To me, seem like they were involved in Freemasonry to actually really become a better person. And then it right. seems like from things that I've covered with the occult rejects, it also seems like they will hand you like the grimiest crowd to run with as well. Yeah. Yeah. So especially if you're someone of importance or involved with law. <laughs> you know? Or now politics. This goes back to the, the fraternal order of police. Now, they made it very clear in the founding documents that uh, police were not allowed to form their own union. So it's not a police union, it's a fraternal order. But what's the difference between a fraternal order and a union? If you go to the Benefit Society page, you find there's no difference between a fraternal order and a union. They're the, the one and the same. And this is how they corrupted the police, right? Because what they did is they groomed the police. Now, isn't it weird how many jobs a policeman has, right? He has to be a social worker. He has to be a court-appointed uh, uh you know, supervisor of a person taking a drug test. He has to do all of these different things. And then he has to write up reports about it. And if he doesn't lie in those reports, he's never getting done with those reports. That's called grooming. That's how the system works. They groom them to be liars. They groom them to be fraudulent. And then everybody's shocked when they go out there and arrest street preachers. I had people so who are preaching the gospels. It's like, yeah, because they're they're trained to be liars. I had somebody who's in the police department in NYPD, and they told me, uh, you know, they only do certain things because they really just deal with traffic stuff. And this is what they told me. You know, one thing, like, if someone's, like, doesn't have the seatbelt on or they're on a cell phone, it's like, or speeding, at least speeding, you kind of, you got the gun, like, you know what I'm saying? These are, like, things that you really can't argue. If you did it, you did it. I mean, you can try. But they were telling me other things that, like, besides that, I mean, for real, for real, they had said, especially when it comes to drugs, you're probably going to have to lie in order to get that shit to stick right. 
Yep. And they would not even. It's because the laws themselves don't accommodate this shit. They said the they one time they busted somebody for a joint is because the dude had a joint behind his ear and started talking shit to the guy and bitching to him about something. And he said, are you fucking serious? You, like, have a joint behind your ear and you're talking shit to me. That was the one time he gave somebody a ticket for drugs because it was that plain obvious out in the open. You know, the guy even admitted, like, oh, fuck, you're right, you got me. You know what I'm saying? But, like, besides that, because I swear to God, the dude told me, there is a lot of shit that, unfortunately, you're probably going to have to fudge a little bit to get it on paperwork to even stick, to even keep the charge. And I was like, holy fuck. They've been groomed so much, and and all of these uh, legislatures have been passing so many stupid laws. Look, every generation has had their stupid politicians. Every generation has had their stupid fucking laws. Every single one of them. It's not just us. It's not just today. It's every single one of them. Because they're trying to get the, the imagination of the public focused on the leaders. This is how they maintain control. The narrative has to be focused on the government, has to be focused on these societies, has to be focused on other things other than building yourself up. Because if you figure that out, if you figure out generational wealth, if you figure that stuff out, they're not going to be the ones in charge anymore. And so they have to maintain this distraction. They have to maintain this this control through distraction. That's the way they've always done it. There's a, a great book out there. It's called Three Felonies a Day. There are so many laws on the books out there that most people are guilty of three felonies a day without them ever even knowing it. This is why empires only last for so long. It's because they become top-heavy. They become weighted at the top. They don't even know how to rule anymore because every generation, there's a basic, this, this goes back to destiny, right? So destiny is that groove in the sand that the ball is rolling down. Well, also, as human beings, as mortals... There's a certain flow to everything, right? We, we flow from the unknown to the known, right? This goes back to that I. This goes back to the value thing. The unknown is what every man is seeking. We have no choice. This is how we move through time, right? And so this idea of moving through time is mortal. As we seek the unknown, we find knowledge. That knowledge builds up over time. And if we live forever, that knowledge eventually turns us insane. We end up losing <laughs> all of our marbles. Look at what's going on in Congress right now. Look at what's going on in the Senate. We've got these people sitting there catatonic. They've turned in to that insane archetype of Saturn. They're so old, they're eating, they're young. And you look at the economy, that's exactly what's happening. The stories they tell about Kronos exist for a reason. He's eating his own young right now as we speak. You know, we see Mitch McConnell out there, face completely out. He is devoid of any kind of of rationality, right? What is going on? Well, we have to have that renewal, that new life, right? There's this great painting by Klimt. It's called Medicine, right? Medicine is where you've got the daughter of Asclepius offering a cup offering a cup, and this cup is the cup of Letha to the person who's viewing the painting, right? The cup of Letha makes you forget, right? So this is you emerging from the underworld, going back into the river of souls, which is right directly behind her in the painting. This painting was destroyed by the Nazis, by the way. 
she's offering you the cup of letha and it's called medicine. As you forget and return into the into the realm of souls, right? You have to drink this cup of letha before you can return to the land of the living. You see the world is new again. Imagine what it would be like if we didn't see the world as new again from the underworld. We would get pretty pissed off that we're back here again. <laughs> and so we have to have these rotating eons, these rotating everything. We have to forget or else we can never approach the world as that crowned and conquering child. The crowned and conquering child is a confusing image if you don't know anything about reincarnation. You have to see the world as new again so that you can conquer it yet again. Oh. Or else what's the point? That tipper, that, that, that heart. You have to have that heart connection. You have to see the world as new. That's, you know, yeah. I, that's why I've always even thought, basically, why Tiferet can have a child as an image. It's because I think sometimes you have to, like, to get any farther sometimes, maybe you have to kind of get, like, that type of, not a naive way of looking at the world, but, like, looking at everything just, almost just as it is. Like, the way a child would look at it, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I do think, at times, looking at the world or looking at your behaviors... Who um, who conquered the emperor with his new clothes? Who conquered the emperor with his new clothes? Everybody else was telling him how beautiful his new clothes were, but the child saw through it. The child said, you're naked. You're naked up there. What the hell are you doing? Put some clothes on. <laughs> the crowned and conquering child, he saw through it. We have to be able to see through it because we're surrounded by illusions every day. Illusions. Magic is an illusion made flesh. Yes. Right? Yes. This is what we're dealing with. We have to come back with new eyes or else we'll never see the world as it, as it is. We're so surrounded by these illusions, by these DeWitt Clintons who, who clothe themselves in nothing and we see him as this great figure, the governor, senator, governor, senator, governor, senator. Oh, he's so acclaimed. He's the master mason. Give us a break. He's clothed himself in these in these false pretenses of all these degrees that he's attained, they handed them to him so they could maintain power. It has nothing to do with anything about his character. Well, you know, that's what I was even through these people. getting at with, um, especially with, like, the jesters. They seem to, like, when we covered them, they seem to have, like, almost as if, like, because they seem to have been into some grimy, you know, screwed up stuff. You can go check out the series. But, like, they also had a lot of people, like like I said, law enforcement or law. And it was almost like, you know, you kind of, like, you hand... I'm sure, like, you kind of, like, handpicked these people because of, like, you know, if they're into this, we can kind of give them that and then expect shit in return <laughs> because, of, because of their yep. position in life. This is what I can't stand about listening to Masons on podcasts, right? If they had any important knowledge that they could give to you, they wouldn't be doing it on a podcast. They'd keep that shit for themselves, as they always do. If they're talking to you on a podcast, there's a lot of Freemasons now talking about occultism in podcasts. If they had anything important to say to you, they wouldn't be hawking their wares to you on a podcast. They'd be in the inner order. Because that's why the inner orders exist. If they had anything important to say, they wouldn't be saying it to you. Remember that next time you hear a Freemason on a podcast. If they had anything important to say, anything wonderful to say, anything out, outside of the ordinary to say, it wouldn't be in your ears. 
It wouldn't be there. Sorry. They don't do that kind of outreach. Which goes back to the the origins of this Eleutherian Mystery Schools. If you could pull up the Eleutheria Wikipedia page. Eleutheria is Sorry. another name. I, just, I had for, a brain I had a brain fart for a second. I started thinking about somebody. It's fine. Eleutheria <laughs> goes back. She's the goddess of the Elysian Mystery School. She's also called Liberty. Liberty for who? Liberty for who? And so the Eleusinian Mysteries provide liberty to the elites, the people who are engaged in the Eleusinian Mystery Schools, the ones who are keeping the secrets, the secrets of their order. It doesn't matter if you know the secrets. What matters is they're able to keep the secrets. You understand? It doesn't matter if everybody knows the secrets. As long as they're able to deal in secrets. This is the thing about the Catholic Church that I find so interesting. You're supposed to confess your sins, confess your secrets to them. They're the keeper of secrets. It all goes back to the Eleusinian Mystery Schools. Where in the Bible do they talk about going to confession? That was kind of put in later. It's all an intelligence operation. Every intelligence operation comes from this organization. I have honestly thought about confession. I was like, you know, that is like a good way to get dirt on everybody, especially back in the day when, like, everybody went to these places and, you know, the towns were small. It's like, yo, that one person knows, like, anybody's dirt who wants to be honest. Another way of saying keeping secrets is keeping insurance. Keeping insurance. Now, this... Mutual insurance idea comes from the mutual aid societies. The benefit societies were built up to provide insurance for their member. Now, a lot of times this insurance would go uncollected. That's a mafia tactic. Yeah, there's Eleutheria. Now, she's also called Liberty. Liberty becomes, Liberty was worshipped by the Romans. Right? We have to worship liberty. That doesn't sound like liberty to me. Uh, liberty was worshipped by the Roman, right? And liberty ended up becoming, if you want to pull that up, there's a, there's a really interesting connection between liberty and Artemis. Artemis. Can oh, we pull up Artemis first? Well. Uh, well, I mean, you can kind of see it in there. They, they refer to her as, as Artemis. Right? They're like, oh, this is... I gotta put my headphones away because, there she is. Holding up that Liberty Tap. What is that Liberty Tap, by the way? A lot of these Freemasons who are really materialistic are gonna tell you that's a mushroom. Really? There's a mushroom Liberty Tap. But it kind of does look like the, the Liberty Cap. They're like, oh, the secrets of these schools was found in these hallucinogenic mushrooms. If you think that all of occultism was meant to hide the secrets that they were taking mushrooms, you might be a fucking materialist. You might be a materialist. I'm sorry. But there's a lot more to the occult than just having a trip on fucking mushrooms. I'm sorry. It's just, that's a fact. I mean, there's plenty of things that I could, I mean, it depends if... If I want to look at it from the eyeballs perspective or if I want to look at it in regular other occult perspectives, I mean, there's plenty of things to think of. I don't think I ever even want to thought of a mushroom, to be totally honest with you. Well, if you look up a, a Liberty Cap, it kind of looks like that, yeah. that sort of ugly hat right there. And that ugly hat 
comes from Anatolia. The Phrygian cap is what they call it. The it almost reminds cap. me of like a, like almost like a jester cap too. It's a little bit. A little bit. The floppiness of it. Yeah. Well, that Phrygian cap, they would put it up on a pole, and that would signal to all of the initiates that we're getting together and we're going to start a riot. Right? So this is what they did in early America, right? So they had the, uh, the sons of the revolution in America, and they would hold these uh, liberty caps out in the town square, and then all the initiates would know that that's their cue. It's time to come outside. They also did this in the French Revolution. All the initiates would come out when they would hold that, that Phrygian cap up on the pole. Everybody would come. The United States fucking army has that on their seal. Everybody come out. It's time to support the uh, Eleusinian mystery schools. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You don't need to ask questions. We're going to a riot. You know, you think the Boston Tea Party was organic? No, hell no. That was the mystery school people. They all got together yeah, under that, that Phrygian cap. Wow. Now, it's really interesting. Phrygia in Anatolia is the same as Phrygia in Phrygia, which is right next to Amsterdam. How, how did they get there? How did they get there? Well, you've got this entire network of mystery school believers in the Proto-Indo-Europeans, and they would keep this in the family. Proto-Indo-European, if you're going to look into that, that's the basis of all Western cultures. All of, all, all of the uh, languages come from this Proto-Indo-European, with the exception of a few standalones, which would be the Etruscan language, the, the pre-Romans. They call them pre-Romans, but really Rome just took them over and took over all of their architecture and took over all their stuff and took the credit for it because... These families were always at war with each other in the Proto-Indo-European times, so they would be kicked out of one area, they would go down, they would use this Eleusinian, well, it was pre-Eleusinian, use their mystery schools to create civilizations. The Greeks, they were Proto-Indo-Europeans. The Romans, they were Proto-Indo-Europeans. They had these similar gods all the way across. You were interviewing the guy about the, uh, the Germanic gods. Yes, it's the same thing. This is the first non-globalist, globalist religion before all that was the was the pantheons. And then the very first explicitly globalist religion was Christianity. Explicitly globalist religion. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You see that around the outside there? What, what is that? What, what are they talking about, right? We're talking about libertas, liberty. Liberty for who? Is it liberty for all men? Could be could be liberty for the inner orders. And I, that's what I think it's all about. Because liberty ends up becoming Colombia. Liberty's directly connected to Colombia. What do they call it in D.C.? The District of Columbia. D.C., District of Columbia. Now this goes to Diana, which is also another one of these liberty goddesses, and Diana Nemorensis. This is about 300 B.C. when they established the Grove of Diana Nemorensis, triple goddess, right? And what they would do is they would have the king of the grove. And the king of the grove would go up to the top of this tree and pull off the golden bough. And James George Frazier wrote about this in the late 1800s, early 1900s in the, in the, uh, the Golden Bough series. It's a huge series where we talk about all of these 
dying god rituals, all of this stuff. Oh, who's that? French Revolution, Freemasons, Eleusinian Mystery Schools. This is why they cut so many heads off. They had to get rid of the founding orders of this society. They said that in the French Revolution, after the French Revolution, France lost a foot and a half in height. So there was a different group of people ruling them that they chopped all their heads off, and basically all the people who were left were Lilliputian compared to the ones that were ruling before. They lost a foot and a half in height. That's not just talking about the head. That's talking about the height itself. Uh. So what they wanted to do is have a reset. And they had their reset all the way up until Napoleon. And Napoleon was their goal the whole time in the French Revolution. They wanted a new empire. That's a whole other other story. <laughs> but the goddess of liberty is always behind it, always pushing forward, always moving the goalpost. You see the, 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 the torch of Prometheus, always carrying the torch of Prometheus. Whenever you see the torch, it's the, tor the torch of Prometheus. It just is, right? So the Statue of Liberty is carrying the torch of Prometheus. And that torch of Prometheus is always about this revolution against heaven, right? And so when they put that torch out there, that's what they're saying. It's, it's really closely connected to the Phrygian cap or the Phrygians. The Phrygians in either Anatolia or Phrygia. Old Phrygia, New Phrygia, all the same Phrygia. So it's really interesting. This liberty goddess becomes uh -huh. Columbia. And if you go and you look at the Colombian, uh-oh, who's that? Who's that? Mercury? That's what I was That's actually Mercury. thinking because of the uh, wings, right? Yep. The winged cap of Mercury. And what is Mercury? It's all about trade, all about this globalism. Travel, globalism. too. Travel. I mean. Right travel all over. He's also the god of trade. They call him the, the thief of cows. He's the thief of cows because he was trading with these things. He, he slew the, the, the giant of a thousand eyes, right? So that he could move in the darkness. It all goes back to the Eleusinian mystery schools which were founded in Greece and then went all over Rome. Rome has this idea of the the, the, the Mithras cult, right? The Mithras cult all have to do with this Eleusinian mystery schools because it goes back yeah. to how they sang their songs. The Orphic traditions created the Eleusinian mystery schools. They would sing the songs which would carry the energy that could only be transferred in word of mouth. And so in the Eleusinian, oh my goodness, Go through those propaganda photos. That's Colombia. These are the goddesses of America. Yo, look at even the top of our head. Looks like the same hat. It is the same hat. <laughs> I see it now for sure. I mean, they yeah. call it a personification, but it's a goddess. It's not a personification. It's a goddess. A god or a goddess is just a personification of a circle of influence. When they claim to want to have that, it's a goddess. This is who they worship. That's what they want is that freedom for themselves. And then they throw it out there. That's a very interesting one. Moving over the West. What is that? What is that? Westward expansion. <laughs> this is how they conquered the nation is with the goddess. 
right? Mm. She's the okay. So it all goes back to um, what's her name? Um, I can't believe I'm blanking. I just said it. Artemis. Artemis is the goddess of the wild. We have to conquer the wild so that we can be free. Mm. Oh, she's dressing herself up for you. Any anybody telling you that psychology is a modern invention hasn't seen these propaganda pictures. This is all turn of the century. Look at that hat she's wearing. What is that hat? That's a battleship, baby. She's gonna go conquer the world with this her is new expansion. hat. Expansion, yeah. That's interesting. You don't get to see these photos because uh oh. What's she doing there? Main law. Stephen she's got his mother. the she's got the uh, cap on, but see that's the cap that um Alexander the Great wore. He had a helmet that was in the Anatolian style, oh, the yeah, Persian yeah, cap style. The, there's that thing again though. That same look that same look though. Yep. Same Persian cap all over. And then you've got that eagle of Zeus. Give us your poor, your huddled masses. We're going to entrain them with our secret societies. So one third of the country we're all members of these secret orders. We're, the, we're all members of these benefit societies. First, they would say, we're taking care of the widows. So if you die, we're going to be insurance for these widows. Have you ever heard of AIG, American Insurance yes, uh, yes. Corporation? Yes, I have. That was started by the OSS. That was started by the OSS. So they used this idea of insurance to wage war, insurance as warfare, came out of these benefit societies. And insurance is warfare has been going on ever since. And nobody has ever said insurance is warfare on YouTube before. Strange how that works. But insurance is used how they, how they use these actuaries to figure out where to strike, to figure out how to hurt them the most. They would use insurance actuaries. This is how they believe they can pro program humanity is with insurance. And one of the big things that turned me off of anarcho-capitalism is the fact that they want insurance to rule the world. They say we can have no government, just insurance corporations who will mark out on their actuaries what we can pay, what's a good, decent rate to overcome any problem that we're faced with. And you can pay a, a small percentage so that we can overcome these problems. It's the same committeeism only in a different form. Well, that this sounded like before. That sounded like the same thing from before as well. Right. This is what the government should be. They should be using actuaries to figure out how they can overcome a problem for a small fee. But we don't do that. We have instead progressivism, which is we need total control by the government. And progressivism and this and this form of anarcho-capitalism, they all come from the same committeeism coming from these Eleusinian mystery schools. That's not in question. If you look up the Benefit Society page, you find this is where insurance comes from. You see the word mutual all over. You've seen the uh, mutual uh, of New York where they've got that uh, the, the commercial with uh, the emu. Limu, emu, liberty, mutual yes, insurance. Yeah, 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 yeah. It all comes from that mutual aid society that was all founded in the University of Virginia in the 1700s. They came up with the Greek orders, the Greek orders within the colleges, the Greek system. 
It was all about entrainment back in the ancient Greek days, and it's all about entrainment today. Right? This is the book called From Mutual Aid to the Welfare Society. They lay it out step by step by step by step. Progressivism took it from this other form of committeeism, local committeeism, decentralized committeeism, consolidated it all into government. And just like in that video we watched, they did it step by step by step by step. You know what the Fraternal, order, uh, Fraternal Congress is doing today? They're teaching people how to be entrepreneurs. So if you get tapped from one of these orders, you're ordered to go to the Fraternal Congress and start to learn how to be an entrepreneur so that you can get into the committeeism of this corporatism, so that you can become inducted into these Chamber of Commerces. Chamber of Commerces rules the local governments. They're the ones who tell them which land to seize, right? You know, you know what's because, interesting in this? I just, I'm sorry, I just want to read this off real quick. This is kind of ahead. funny to me. Um, it says, fraternal organizations, um, both familiar ones, such as the Elks and Moose, and less familiar ones like Ladies of the Maccabees or the Workmen's Circle, play a number of important roles in 19th and 20th century American society. That's interesting. Like I mean, the elks and the moose, role. you know, I, I think people, you know, kind of sleep on their importance. So what these what these fraternal orders would do would target certain segments of society and allow for the monopolization that we see today, the monopolization of medicine, the monopolization of construction, the monopolization. This is all very ancient process of entraining people into the monopoly. Now, what's even scarier than mon monopoly is a term you've probably never heard of before, which is monopsony. You ever heard of a monopsony? No. Nope. A monopsony is the uh, reverse side of the coin of a monopoly. Monopoly is a single producer. A monopsony is a single consumer. Everything is being consumed by a single source. Can you name any monopsonies today? Oh, yeah, like, well, the news and shit. The news? News, news uh, medicine, I think, kind of, you know. Well, no, it's like an organization or a cartel that's the, the single consumer uh, of a thing. I don't know, actually. Off the top of my head, I'd probably have to Who's think. Who's the single consumer of nuclear bombs, of tanks? Who's the single consumer of... Uh, let's see here, um, shoulder-fired rocket launchers. The U.S. government. It has a monopsony on all the weapons of war. I had no idea. It, yeah, that, there's a reason. There's a reason you've never heard of that before. <laughs> wow, okay. So monopsony is an even scarier concept than monopoly because you can just choose not to buy it from that monopoly. I can make it myself or I can do something else. I don't have to buy it from that single producer. But everybody's focused on monopoly. Monopolism is very scary when you're talking about medicine because there's only one hospital and your leg's fucking broken right now. So you've got to go somewhere to get that leg fucking taken care of. And there's only that one hospital and that hospital's part of the AMA and that AMA is, has a state medical board which tells people how to set their prices. And the way they got there 
was with the Eleusinian Mystery Schools. <laughs> yeah, I think, unfortunately, we never actually pulled that one up, so I wanted to pull it up now. I figured you'd be mentioning it again. Isn't it funny on that coin for Eleutheria? That structure right there that you see in that picture is the same as on the coin. The obverse side of the coin is that same structure. If you could imagine all of those uh, characters being taken away and just the outside portion, they want everything within Hermeticism. See that? See that structure, that temple structure? Everything within the temple. Everything within the temple. Hermetic. Hermetic seal. Everything within Hermetic seal. Everything within the temple. Nothing outside the temple. Everything within the temple. Mm. Very important. The cycles of life, death, rebirth have to be done within the temple. This is why they brought that concept into the Eleusinian Mystery Schools with Persephone. She's reborn every spring. She dies every fall. She goes back down to the underworld. Look at that Persephone. It's just so beautiful, right? She's the one where we get the harvest from. She's the one where we get the harvest from. This is where we get the Order of Cincinnatus. The Order of Cincinnatus is the one that is harvesting the genetic material of the presidents. I wonder if that has anything to do with Cincinnati. It does. Cincinnati was a general in ancient Roman days who became emperor and went back to the farm. This was the, the, the first uh, leader of the Order of Cincinnatus was George Washington. And ever since then, every single president has been inducted or has been a ancestral member do you want to look that up just look up the order of cincinnatus sure. very revealing webpage. very revealing goes back to the eleusinian mystery schools directly so cincinnatus oh, was wow. this general who became yeah just pull that up <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you want me to tell you what right we're, now, huh? The Society of Cincinnati, an organization in the United States and France, founded in 1783 to preserve the ideals and fellowship of the Revolutionary War officers who fought for American independence. The New Order of Cincinnatus, a political organization in the 1930s, founded in Seattle and present in various degrees elsewhere on the West Coast of the United States. That's all it's yeah. Saying. Yeah, short web pages always tell you something on Wikipedia. The shortest web pages always have the most information hidden about them. So, the Order of Cincinnati, there's actually, they've got their own website. And they say, we're an ancestral order. Oh, well, here you go. Portrait of General George Washington, President General of the Society of Cincinnati. Yeah. So this is how the presidents have been chosen over the years. They're an ancestral order. They've kept that same idea. So Cincinnati, just like George Washington, George Washington was believed to be the reincarnation of Cincinnati, right? Because they believed in reincarnation. They're not a Christian. They're not Christians. They're not Christians. Stop it. They're not Christians. Stop it. <laughs> Anybody telling you this is a Christian nation, they're not Christians. Stop it. They go back to ancient Greece. It has nothing to do with Christianity. Stop it. Christianity is meant for you. They didn't take away your gods. 
as a favor to you. They didn't do that. They wanted to keep you centralized. They wanted to keep you globalized. Centralized and globalized go apart from each other, so they've got to have a story to keep you both centralized and globalized. And they did it with Christianity. Christianity's that story. So <clears throat> they believe Cincinnati was reincarnated into George Washington, and ever since then, the, the sons and the... the why do you think that every American president has been related to one another and been related to the crown? <laughs> do you think that was an accident? It's the order of Cincinnatus. They're the ones who harvest the genetic material of these people and put them into office. It's a giant farm. We are products on that farm. Wow. The order of Cincinnatus is, is clear about that. Very, very clear. Unfortunately... It's not something anybody fucking talks about. I've never even because heard of it. Because if they did, we'd know that we're on a fucking farm. Yeah, this is interesting. I've never heard of this. Right. Well, this this goes back to the uh, Golden Bow thing. So the Golden Bow ritual. Oh, of course. I'm sorry. Of course it was founded at Frisco, New York. Which makes no sense. Uh, well, it just seems like a lot of stuff always goes back to New York. Some weird shit. This is like the home of the Freemasons for all of the rest of the country. Look, <clears throat> the Greeks believed in city-states. City-states would command the populace around them. And the city-states were ruled by heroes. And if you look up the Demes, they would rule the population by giving them an identity based off of certain heroes that would run the city-states. And they had 10 heroes that they would run off of the city-states, right? And so the 10 heroes would give people a secret society that they could join. And that secret society is how they would maintain their genus or their gens, right? The gens would be the, the familial integrity. That concept was never lost. We never really had freedom. The idea of libertas... Eleutheria, uh, Columbia, is how they maintain their gens. Yo, and their gen is how they maintain their society. A while back ago, wasn't there, uh, um, was it May 13th people were prophesizing some shit to happen? May 13th? I didn't hear anything about that. Uh, for some reason I thought I saw people prophesizing some shit this year. It was going to happen. That was supposedly important date. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I did notice that it said this was established on May 13th, 1783. Could be. I mean, yeah, those, those that rings a bell to anybody. Over and over again. Yeah. So what I've been hearing now is September 23rd, September 23rd, oh, September 23rd. It's all about September 23rd. So that could be this year. 2323, X day. X day. We've had 12 X day. We're going to have 12 X days this year. Two plus three is five. Two plus three is five. Five and five is ten. X day. So look out for a 2323 because we've got 12 of them and a 92323 would be a very significant date. Uh, keep that in mind. It's like 910, 910, right? These patterns is what they use over and over again. So anyways, so back at, at Lake Nemi, they would have a, a human sacrifice ritual. Now Artemis was a goddess of human sacrifice. Right? So in the, the Greek wars with the Trojans, uh, the uh, Agamemnon was ordered by one of the oracles to have a human sacrifice. So he sacrificed his daughter, Epigenia, to Artemis. 
And Artemis was just like laughing at him. Ha! You killed your fucking daughter, you idiot. I'm not going to do anything for you. I'm the patron goddess of Tro Troy, not you. I hate you fucking Greeks. I'm all about Troy. And again, her twin brother is Apollo. Her twin brother is Apollo, the one who killed uh, Achilles, the one who grabbed hold of the arrow and jammed it into Achilles' tendon and killed him. So they were on the side of Troy. Troy ended up sailing around Greece and landing in where? Italy. And they founded Rome after the Trojan War. So Troy becomes Rome, city-state. The city-state of Rome ended up governing all of the, the surrounding uh, places, right? And then we've got um, the Illuminati founder, right, Weishaupt. He says, we need to be the illuminated ones who revive the city-states. And then we've got London, Rome, Washington, D.C. Those are the city-states that rule all of the places around them. This is how they've done it. They have the Yellow City and Mystery Schools go out. They found themselves. They start providing good services in a decentralized fashion, and then they consolidate. That's the great resets. The great resets are consolidations. Sometimes right? convenience can bite you in the ass. Absolutely. Well, you never know because the fate is how they rule us. They give us the groove, and they let our ball roll down that groove into their pit. Stuck in that groove, man. Exactly. So we have to be the ones to make our own grooves. And that's what I think I'm doing here by giving a lot of this knowledge that nobody fucking talks about. Right? Order of Cincinnati, look it up, man. We are on a farm. We're being farmed. Right? The double-cross system of the British is still at play today. Double-cross, that's... You know, I tweeted that at you. That's what is all, all this X is, is the British double-cross system. What do you think is going to happen with X? It's a double-cross. This is the big double cross. He's even telling you in the X, the double cross is coming. No, that shit is not, uh, something is wrong, man, with the Twitter and Elon Musk. That's just my opinion. So Artemis becomes Diana. Diana becomes uh, Libertas Eleutheria. Libertas Eleutheria becomes Columbia. Columbia goes out and conquers the world for the British Empire. We take up right after they finish. District of Columbia. Any district of Columbia, God, man. And if you know how to read the symbols, you know how to read all of this stuff. So at Lake Nemi, they would have a human sacrifice ritual where you would go up, grab the golden bow, come back down, and then there's a king of the grove. A king of the grove. And you would have to kill the old king to take his spot. You would have to sacrifice him to Diana to take his spot. Human sacrifice ritual. Right. So... What we have is you would have to defeat the king in popularity in America so that you can become the new king of the grove. And you would dedicate the district to Columbia. And every time they have this uh, uh, ritual where they would give this man, the, uh, the new uh, incarnated king, on the steps of the uh, Capitol building, right on top of this owl, right, the owl that's underneath of it, he becomes the new king of the grove, right? So the committeeism, we all know that democracy is a fraud. Democracy doesn't mean what they say it means. What it means is the committee has chosen a new ruler for you. 
And isn't it interesting, when they uh, have the impeachment hearing for Trump, they would have this funerary procession from one House chamber to the other. If you remember that, they would take it from the Senate over to the House building, and they would do so in a funerary procession. That was a magical ritual to indicate that the king is dead. Long live the king. The king is dead. Long live the king. They would do these rituals over and over. They don't even know why they're doing them anymore. They're completely insane. They have no connection to the vital energies of these rituals, of these tools, of these symbols. They have no connection to it whatsoever, but they keep going through the motions. They don't have the energy anymore. We do. We can see the rise of that energy. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we maintain it? How do we, how do we boost it out there? And I think it comes from stories. It comes from analogies. It comes from the idea of being able to explain this stuff and saying, you can make your own groove. You can make your own groove. You can control your own fate. I think that's told to us, yeah, stories, art, you just got to see it. You know, I think I think it's all, it's, in, it's actually in our faces a lot. It is. And we're making those new stories. And unfortunately, they can't get a handle on it. So we're seeing a lot more uh, Freemasons doing podcasting. It's <laughs> too funny, right? You want to bring it all back? There it is. Oh, that's funny, man. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you got a good point there. Um, so, is there anything else you needed to add to that whole topic or anything? Well, I mean, there's so out. much stuff you could. I mean, there is. <laughs> but this is a huge topic. And yeah, this doesn't get the impression. Okay, well, it gave me like two or three ideas for like other shows. Just this topic. <laughs> I can make everyone instantly smarter right now. I can make everyone instantly smarter right now. All you have to do is make an oath to the goddess. And I'm going to go with the goddess Themis because she's the first oracle, right? All you have to do right now is make an oath to the goddess to, to become instantly smarter, right? What you do is you make an oath to the goddess that every time you say the words, I don't know, for the next three months, you do so with your tongue between your lip and your teeth, like this. I don't know. If every time you say, I don't know like that, you will humiliate yourself in front of whoever it is you're saying it to. <laughs> so instead of saying, I don't know, you'll say, I'll find out. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. You make that's, yourself that's... smarter right now by making a note to the goddess Demma. I don't know. It becomes <laughs> no longer part of your vocabulary. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting because, like, there's even suggested things, and Crowley had even suggested, like, taking certain words out of your vocabulary. Uh, there'd be people who put, like, rubber bands on their wrists, and every time they said a certain word or a phrase, they'd snap it. I have no magicians to do that. Some people got a little drastic with that shit, but, you know. Words are power. Your vocabulary determines your fate. Your vocabulary determines your fate. Who's giving you these words? I came upon a realization recently. The Omphalus, which is right outside the Oracle at Delphi, is a beehive where they get their words. The Oracle is a beehive where they get their words. If you look up the Omphalus, you'll find it's in the shape of a beehive. It's in the shape of a beehive. And that beehive is what populates your words. And those words are where you get your honey from. That's where you make your money. That's where you get your honey from. Your words determine your outcome. 
if you can control that beehive, if you can find those words that you need, you will instantly become smarter. IQ tests, just measure your vocabulary. That's all they're doing. Yeah, that is true. Huh? Yeah. So don't get hung up on it. You can change that shit. You can change that shit instantly. All you have to do is become aware of it and start to change it on your own. You can change your fate. Did you find an omphalus? Oh, no. Let me... Uh... O-M-P-H-A-L-U-S. It means belly button. The navel of the world. Omphalus. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I think I've showed this actually before on something else. Or somebody oh, else. I was talking did. about it last time, too. The oh, Omphalus is where they where they harness the earth energies into the civilization that they have. You know another Omphalus? Hold on. They've got it over in uh, over in India. It's called Shiva's Phallus. Shiva's Phallus is an Omphalus. I'm sure you've seen that one before. It's like in the middle of this uh, uh, lamp or lantern, right? It looks like uh, the, the magic lantern, right? Is where you get the idea of the jinn from, and they're always pouring milk on Shiva's phallus, right? There's another one in D.C. There's an omphalus there. It's called the Washington Monument. It's a giant phallus, right? The idea is these are the navels of the world. This is where we get our vocabulary from. This is how they control us. This is what surrounds us in this earth energy, and they know how to manipulate that earth energy. They're the Freemasons. They're the ones connecting to the earth. They're the ones making these structures. They're the ones making this architecture. That is very true with the architecture. I agree with that. Yeah. It all goes back to what we were talking about at first. Is how coherent is your architecture? How coherent is the stuff? That, what's that? Oh, that's a beehive. <laughs> that's how the Greeks represented the beehive. And if you notice the net on top of that, it kind of looks like bees crawling all over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually what I thought it was, really. Yeah. The net is interesting because this beehive, 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 the navel of the world is where these concepts, this earth energy is turned into, turned into bees, turned into bees that end up populating the society, gets into people's minds. This is a magical ritual, right? So I found this, it's kind of interesting, there's this god called Aristeus. Aristeus in Greek means the most useful. And Aristeus in Greek is this god who is the, they call him the rustic Apollo. He's the Apollo before the Apollo, right? He's the god of sheep herding. Right? They keep changing these gods to make them into more and more uh, urban things, right? That reminds they me of one of the urban. dudes from uh, American Gods. I feel like there was like a dude who kind of was like very of the earth. I can't remember who what his name of who he played, but you're kind of like describing him to me in, in a sense. So Aristeus is really interesting because he's got a ritual associated with him. There was a poet in the first century uh, AD, I believe, who was writing down all these rustic rituals, right? And so these, one of these rustic rituals involved taking a bull inside of a shack that has all of the windows and all the doors sealed up. And you and all your closest buddies would beat this bull to death inside of this very tight-packed shack, 
tight-packed shed. And you would beat him to death and not separate any of his body parts. Very important for this ritual. This was called the Bougonia ritual. And in the Bougonia ritual, you would beat this, uh, this, this bull to death, and then what would come out of his horns, what would come out of his bones, would be bees. Mm. And these bees, you could then populate your hives with. Now, European bees are very different from the bees of all the rest of the world. And, you know, they, would, they, they talked about spontaneous generation and how, oh, this is pseudoscience. They used to believe that these bees would come. I believe the bees came from here because they wouldn't do it all the time all over the Mediterranean if it wasn't working. This wasn't just in Greece. This was all over the Mediterranean. This was the Etruscans. This is the... The Africans, they would all take this bull into the shack, they would beat it to death, and then bees would come out, and they would use that bees in their honey. Now, you can see the symbol there. It's like you've got this raw, natural earth power in the bull, right? Mm. The most raw energy, this Taurus energy. They would slay it. What was I talking about? Mithras. What would Mithras do? He would slit the throat of the bull, right? And this is how they would regenerate their society. What are the... Uh, what are the, uh, um, uh, I tried to call them Masons, the Mormons. I was, Mormons I was just going to say before, yeah, I was, I was going to say that when you were done. I was going to be like, you know, they had, um, even in their story, I think inside their book, they do mention that every boat that came over here had a beehive on the front of it. They have them on all their doorknobs. You know, they use that shit too. It's probably why it's, isn't it on the Utah thing, a flag or is Utah, whatever it is? Is there a beehive? Yes, there is. I mean, that's probably why that's there. <laughs> everywhere. They preserve the mysteries of the Masons in the rites of the Mormons. And you know what? They wanted to name Utah Patah first, and they didn't. They named it Utah after Patah. Patah, isn't that the Egyptian god? Out of springs and shit. Yeah, he was, he was like, he kind of like is one of the more like, you know, beginnings of creation, actually. I thought he was agriculture. Wasn't he agriculture? Well, he, he's, I know he's involved with springs, you know, this shit, so let me look him up. Springs like as in the water or spring like as in the... Uh, yeah, water, yeah. Spring yeah. and spring, spring and spring. Like, you're seeing these parallels. This is why you get all of these things in the English language that match up numerologically with all the rest of these things. Okay. Uh, real quick, um... Ptah is an Egyptian creator god who conceived the world and brought it into being uh, into being through the creative power of speech. A hymn to Ptah dating to the 22nd dynasty of Egypt uh, says, Ptah crafted the world in the design of his heart. Uh. The Omphalus is a beehive where I find my words. That's one of the songs I sing because I want my own Omphalus. I don't want to use their own for anymore. And it's always the same thing. You have to cultivate your words. You have to cultivate them very carefully. Just like a beehive. Just like a beehive. That's interesting. All so right. what are we doing? Are we making our own stories? We are we getting be. smarter? I'm trying to. I'm trying to, I'm trying to write my own story now. <laughs> Absolutely, my man. I think... I mean, this is a great place to leave it. You can see the continuity. It's an ominous continuity. This is the spiritual life behind the face that we're shown. That was a pretty wild ride, my man. 
there was a lot of things in there I would think I would like to come back to and talk about in depth more in the future. So thank you very much, uh, Headless. It's always an amazing, wild, informative ride. There's even people wondering, like, do you, you know, what does this guy do for a day job? Because, like, how the fuck does he know all this shit and work? <laughs> the reason I got on the whole Greek thing is because I was looking at the architecture in D.C. and I found out about Artemis, Diana, Eleutheria, Columbia. The flag of Washington, D.C. is the uh, Aztec numerals 13. Yeah, what's that 13? John D. John D. got his scrying mirror from the Aztecs. Why? Mm. This is all Aztec gods in here. I'm speaking to a smoky mirror. Tezcatlipoca. Oh, yeah. There's an ominous continuity. We can't just ignore the gods and be like, oh, these things don't exist. Gods are a personification of a circle of influence. What do they say when you stare into the void? The void stares back at you. Yo, That's I, what these gods are. I've even been saying, and, you know, it's just a weird coincidence. You know, even with the true crime stuff I'm covering and even with a few other things recently, that one in three or 13 in general has been coming up a lot. It's very weird. If I could give you some advice, go through the 78 cards of the tarot, get their numbers. Every single one of them has a number mm -hmm. according to the, the, the letters in, you know, You're right, 10 yeah. swords. Get their numbers, write them all down. You can have a tarot card reading. If you have a layout, you can have a tarot card reading from each one of these events. Figure out where those cards go because, look, everything is based off the who, what, where, and why. Who, what, where, and why is a tarot card spread. Yo, who, I was even thinking that shit with the stuff that I've been covering with this Rex and Gilgo. There's a, sh a crap ton of tarot cards coming up. And I was like, yo, I, not to sound silly, but like, yo, there's like, is there characters like literally on a chessboard right now? I think... If we are living in a simulation, the numbers are the way that the simulation is propagated. And the numbers keep repeating over and over again. And that energy carried from one number to the other number in these different words is still present. Spring and spring, patah, the tongue, using that to push forward this stuff. It's happening spring on forward. a much deeper level. Yeah, I think you're right, my man. I think you're right. Definitely. Well, thank you very They're much. Huh? They're not immune to it. All of these numbers can be pushed onto them just as easily. Look, we look at these things as if it's a conspiracy, as if they're putting these numbers in code in front of us. It might not be. It could be a little bit of both. How do we find those things? Well, we've got to be able to decode our own lives first and figure out what role we play in this big grand chessboard. And once we know our role, we stop becoming NPCs. Very well said. Very well said, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, do you want to let everybody know where they can find your stuff? I never really got to give you an introduction. You just went off running with info. So oh, please yeah. plug your show, man. <laughs> I, got, I got a show I do out intermittently 
my I think my latest episode is with uh, Jin the Ninja. We go into a lot of this stuff too. He's into tantra. He's always finding connections between between tantric gods and goddesses and the Greek gods and goddesses. Like I'll be talking about Greek gods and goddesses and he's like, I know this one. I know this one. I'd love to get Jin the Ninja on there with you. He's a big fan of your show. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. You had told me about that. Yeah, I would like to yeah. get the three of you on maybe and we'll talk some stuff. For sure. He's a really interesting guy. He's got all this information about herbs, herbalism, and tantric gods and goddesses. He talks about it. It's like, so the tantra is different from the normal Buddhism. Normal Buddhism is like, uh, you know how they say that conservatism is just progressivism going the speed limit? That's like normal Actually, Buddhism. I've heard that recently. Tantra is like hypercharged turbo Buddhism. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, all right. So, uh, Headless Giant, he has... Now, do you have anything besides your podcast? Like, um, Not any, nothing on video or anything, correct? Uh, no, I'm going to I'm gonna start doing that more. I, I got sort of the message that Themis wants a new oracle. And so I've been going out to this place that's called the uh, the Castle Mound. Oh, that's right. did you send me videos of that? Yeah, and yeah. I've been doing tarot card readings out there that have been really, really fascinating, really applicable, right? And so I'm using it like an oracle. I'm just doing what I can with what I got. So I'm going out there and doing oracle work out at the uh, Castle Mound, and hopefully I'm going to start doing, like, spaces where I can just open up tarot card readings to the people. I think that it should be free, just like what, you know, your big thing is, like, it should be free. It should be free. Well, I, I agree. It Thank should you. be free Thank because... Using their money, that's their monotheism. That's their monotheism. See, that's, I mean, honestly, that's the whole problem, too. It's like, you know, even with accepting the whole money thing, it's like, you know, in, in a silly way, it's like, you know, now I'm, like, using their magical talisman to give you a favor. Uh, it's just, <laughs> as an occultist, right. that's the hard pro problem with it, really. Right. I think we've got a whole new, I mean, like, people make shit all over crypto, but, like, we have a whole new money theism. We could start using our own symbols in this in this sort of wild, wild west of money theism, which would be uh, cryptocurrencies, right? Like, what the hell is Dogecoin? You know? That's a whole fucking... It's a meme coin. It's a fucking meme coin. What do you think uh, money theism is? It's a meme coin. It's always been a meme coin. Uh, all right, so uh, yeah, I know the links. I do have links in of the of your stuff in the show notes now, so people can go check out. Uh, I guess there's nothing new to add. That's why I was asking if you started any video yet. Nope. So, all right, um, yeah, man, thank you so much, bro. That was a great show. I lo always love having you on. You know, the the listeners when I go live, I always try to go live with you. You know, I always get a lot of comments in the chat. A lot of people jumped on. That's what's up. Thank you very much. Uh, that was another good live. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to chat it up again soon. I'm thinking maybe uh, maybe end up, like, try to cover one of these things with you. Even that Cincinnati thing, I'd really be interested in talking about that a lot more. Like, that piqued my interest to even research myself. That's so, dark, man. It yeah, is dark. I, I think that could be really interesting if, if you know, maybe uh, we did that together one day. So hopefully we'll get that in the works eventually, and we'll get uh, your boy on, too, in the future. So, you yeah, know. He's great on spaces. We do uh, spaces on the future is ancient hashtag. So if you're on, on uh, uh, Twitter or X, the <laughs> double-cross system, get on uh, the future is ancient hashtag. 
Okay. All right. I'll check it and out. And you'll find a whole bunch of information there. We try to thread those spaces. We bring the Promethean fire every Friday night. Check it out. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. Nice. Nice. Yeah. People listening, go check that out if you're on Twitter. I do know a lot of people are into the Twitter spaces, so go check that out for sure. Uh, if anything, maybe... Corrine Atlas, too. I was going to say... Atlas on, on X, that's... She's, she's fantastic. She's always bringing the fire. Okay. She's always trying to give people good insights into... Um, uh, body construction, I believe it's called. It's uh, it's a astrological thing. Um, she's also uh, brings astrological projections every day. She's always throwing those out, giving you a little bit of that fire. Oh, yeah. So okay. check it out. Yeah, if there's any hashtags or any other uh, stuff that you want to send me afterwards, I'll take I'll take them from you and I'll edit into the show notes after this, so it's there now, and I'll edit it into the podcast once it drops. I have no problem doing that. Um, again, thank you very much, my man. Like I was saying, uh, you'll definitely be on again. Uh, and I had said at the beginning of the show, uh, you know, just the way things that had worked out, you know, I was even saying it earlier in the show that I recorded earlier. You know, it's funny at one point, like I think when things were changing with the occult rejects, I was like, I had ideas, but really didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I was very confused and nervous, but I just didn't want to stop it. And it's funny how like just certain people fell into my lap that I know now that I can just always conversate with and kind of would consider an occult reject. You're just not a constant co-host. And you, my man, I consider one of those. And I, I thank you very much. You know, I, I try to get you on as much as I can because I really do consider you part of like what this show is changing into, you know. That Even means a lot. reject is a choice. Yeah, exactly. They won't take anybody, whether you punch the baby in the face or you punch the guy holding the baby <laughs> in the face. They'll take you. They got a position for you. You've got to make that conscious choice of not not being part of that false dichotomy. Exactly, my man. Thank you. So thank you very much for everything you do. I really appreciate it. And again, thank you everybody who jumped in on the uh, on the live. And until the next one, everybody be well. Later.